Well, good morning. Everybody good today? I'm so glad that you're here. So glad. My name is Kenny. I'm the campus pastor and uh, I'm actually leading Starting Point. And uh, so if you're looking for a group or you, uh, uh, what you just heard, you resonate with, I would love for you to be in that. We'll meet on Thursday nights. In two weeks, we start uh, right here in Fieldstone uh, Clubhouse. So if you're not a part of a small group and you're like, man, that's the group I need to be in, I'd love for you to do that. We also have a, a Hispanic uh, Starting Point group that is starting, which is really, really cool. And that one is filling up quickly as well. So make sure you find a group this fall, okay? More on that in just a momento. Hey, listen, if you've been here all, uh, that, was, that was Spanish, see, I put that in there. If you've been here uh, this month, you know I have started every single talk with this one question for you to think about, and that's this, what is your dream for 2020? Uh, it's not a, uh, a goal, um, it's a dream. It's not just a priority, it's a dream. And a dream is something that it might happen or it might not happen. Happen. You're going to have to have uh, more people involved. You need God to step in because it's a dream. And if he doesn't come through for you, then odds are it's not going to come true. So what is your dream? Maybe for your life, maybe for your marriage, uh, your kids, your, your finances. Uh, what is your dream? And then we've talked about what is God's dream for 2020? Because God does dream. He has a dream for the person sitting in your chair. He has a dream for his church family, also called his bride, that he has a dream of what he wants it to look like, act like, be like, and expand. And, um, and here's what we've said each week, just in case you haven't been here, don't want you to feel left out. We said that God's dream of a church is a place where everyone is welcome. No matter what you've been through, no matter your hangups, no matter your habits that you want to get rid of, uh, if we are low in life, if you're high in life, what Whatever it is, that the doors are open for you to come. Uh, because we believe that God loves every single person on the planet, so we should love every single person on the planet. We believe that he values every single individual, so we should value every single individual. And so this is a place where the doors are open and everyone is welcome. We also believe that God's dream for the church is to where everyone is serving. He has gifted you, blessed you to be a blessing to other people. Somehow, some way, there are seasons of life where we need to step back and, and let other people serve us. But then there are times we need to get in the game and to serve and make a difference with our life. And then the third thing we said is, is a church should be a place to where everyone's life is changed. See, come just as you are, but don't stay that way. We all have areas of our life and secrets of our life that we want God to, to fix if he will, and he wants to, but we got to be honest with those and let him change us and to speak into those areas of our life and uh, that everyone's life is changed. So that's God's dream for a church as we read scripture and it's no different than here. We want that to be true of this place as well. And so today I want to tell you about a story about a guy who uh, was healed by Jesus. Uh, but before we do that, because that has a lot to do with the 2020 vision, and I was reminded of this story uh, of my son when I read this story that we're going to read in the Bible. So Zach, my youngest, he was in elementary school, and we took him for an eye checkup. And I can't remember the reason of why, but we we're like, you know, what, let's just go get his eyes checked and just make sure everything's cool. And so I took him to the doctor, and I was there. And um, you remember the eye chart? Anybody remember these these eye charts when you go in the the doctor? office, right? Well, the eye chart was on the wall and the eye chart was actually different than this one because the letters kind of lined up all the way across in rows, right? And so the doctor comes in and looks at his eyes and does a few things and then goes, well, Zach, here's what I want you to do. If you could just read the eye chart for me, that'd be great. And I'm looking at the chart. Doctor's looking at the chart. Zach's looking at the chart. Nothing. And I'm like, 
Hey, you can, it's right there. You just kind of, and I'm going, he, he can't see anything. This is horrible. I mean, he can't even see the chart. And he's like, I got it, dad. I got it. I said, all right, all right, good. Nothing. I'm going, epic fail as a parent. Doesn't even know his ABCs. This is horrendous. This is getting worse as we move along. And then the doctor, the doctor steps in and goes, Zach, it's okay. Just take your time. It's not a lot of pressure. You got this. And just kind of, just kind of read the chart there. And then I'm looking at it and I'm looking at him and here's what he's doing. And I went, he's literally trying to read the chart. And I went, Zach, no, 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 it's not a word. Just sell the letters. He's going, oh, dad, I thought I didn't know anything. So he's like, oh, E, F, G. I mean, he was like, okay, I got it now. Doctors laugh and I'm like relieved, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And so I thought about that story. And as, as funny as it was, I remember, I remember thinking, you know, here's the thing with Zach in that moment, he could see but he couldn't understand, right? Like he could, there was nothing wrong with his eyes. Like he could see clearly, but there was a disconnect on understanding what he was looking at. And what's interesting about this story that we're going to read today is Jesus actually, this, this, this miraculous story, as the guy that couldn't see, but Jesus, it's like he had to heal him twice. It's so strange. It's like Jesus didn't touch him one time. Jesus had to touch him again. And it's like, that's just a strange story. And so we're going to unpack the story because I think what we're going to learn is not something new about Jesus, but I think we're going to learn something about ourselves. And it's a really, really good story. And it's found in the book of Mark. And here's how it starts off. Mark chapter 8, verse 22, it says this. Jesus is with his disciples. And it says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, everybody say Bethsaida. Now, this is important because Jesus had been to Bethsaida before, and it's an interesting read if you've never read this. When the first time Jesus goes to Bethsaida, the Bible says he wanted to do miracles there, but he couldn't. Not that he wouldn't, he couldn't. It's a fascinating read because you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So you're telling me there's something Jesus can't do? Well, when you read that text, it is. Because he wanted to do miracles, but he couldn't do any. You go, why, why? Here's why. Because the people didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was, and they didn't believe he could do what he promised he could do. And because of their lack of faith, they didn't believe him. They just didn't believe him that he couldn't do miracles there. So he basically cursed off that area, not the people, but he cursed off that area going, this is a town, this is a place to where I'm not accepted for who I am, son of God, being able to do miracles, and they don't believe I can do what I say I can do. There is a direct uh, correlation and a connection between your belief in Jesus and his activity in your life. And so when you read this story, this is the city they're coming into, and it'll be important in just a moment, okay? In Mark chapter 8, verse 22, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Let me kind of make a plug for small group real fast. This miracle never happens without this guy's small group. It never happens. We never read about it. This man stays blind for the rest of his life, as far as we know it, without his friends bringing him to Jesus. I love this. You don't think small groups are important? Just read the Bible. By the way, Jesus was in one. I don't know what you got going on in your world, 
but here's a man set out to change the world and finds time for a small group. They're important. And here's what you also learn, not only about this story, because there are more stories in the Bible just like this. Jesus partners with bringers. He partners with bringers. He loves when people bring people to him. That's what I love about this place so much. Because you're constantly bringing people to this place, bringing people. Listen, listen, I'm not perfect, but listen, this Jesus guy is. You got to meet him. You got to hear it. You just got to come one time. You got to know. And that's what I love about small groups as well. It's a place where we gather together and we're just kind of bringing each other to Jesus going, hey, we're all broken. We're all messed up. But Jesus, would you just speak to us? Do something. Jesus loves bringers. Now, we did something last semester with small groups that we'd never done before. Marshall Peterson, a small group director, did an amazing job of putting together what's called small group in a box. And it's basically everything you need to do a small group on your own where you work, in your neighborhood, with your friends, with your buddies, with your girls, whatever it is that you can do a small group on your own. Here's the story of a guy in our church by the name of Stephen who last week risked it all, went out on a limb and wanted to start a small group at his office where he works. And this is what happened to him being a bringer. Watch this. Hi, I'm Stephen Langley. I work at Memorial Hermann Healthcare as a network engineer. A small group in a box is this wonderful program that the church developed that allows you to invite your friends, your family, your co-workers, whatever it may be, into an atmosphere where they feel comfortable, they can learn about Christ, they can learn His teaching, and they can grow in the knowledge of Him to develop a better relationship. With the small group in a box, we've been able to get together, learn more about each other. We're finding out, one, that the Christian base at work is a lot stronger than we thought, but it also leads to inviting others. God has worked immensely in bringing our group. We've grown in size from three to 14 people that we didn't even know. And we're learning about the miracles that happened in their lives as well as in my own life. And it's amazing to see God at work all around me. When you take on the small group in a box, they've got it formulated so well that you have icebreakers for the people that you're not really that familiar with. You can go through these icebreaker exercises to loosen the group up, make them more open to communicate with you. You can develop those friendships a lot better. And it's not just with people you know, there's been coworkers that have shown up that I don't even know, but because of how the program is implemented and the icebreakers that are offered, you're able to reach out and break down those barriers a little bit, get them to talking, and it just it makes it a whole much more fun program. The small group in a box not only has allowed me to expand to my coworkers, but in the healthcare environment, I get to see many people that may or may not know about Christ, and as they see me and they encounter me, I've got the opportunity to let them know why I'm so settled and so peaceful. Um, and it really helps in healthcare because when you're dealing with a patient that's facing a crisis or something like that, to be able to show the kindness and the love to them that God gives us, we get the opportunity to invite them to enjoy that peace as well. 
and help them grow in the knowledge of God or maybe introduce them to God. Isn't that a powerful story? I mean, you have 14 or more this semester possibly, and it was all because he was a bringer. And so if you think God is leading you to do something where you work or with your buddies or in your neighborhood, stop by our small group table and just pick up a, a, a small group in a box. I think there's a bag of M&Ms there too. So just take those if you want. That works out too. But just make sure you stop by and, and just, just see, because this story never happens without his friends leading him to Jesus. It never happens. Now, here's what's interesting about this story. Let me tell you two things real fast about this story. Number one, this is the only time this story shows up in the Bible. Some stories in the Bible, another author is kind of have a different angle on it and they give you a little bit more information as to what was happening and who was there. This is a one-time deal. And so this is like rare air that we're walking through when we're reading this, which makes it even more special in, in my opinion, because this is a one-shot deal. The second thing that makes this story so interesting is that it, the miracle happens in phases. No other miracle in the Bible does this ever happen. It's like stages, right? And so it happens a little bit. Jesus touches the man and then Jesus has to touch him again. And so it's so weird. And it's like, wh why did it happen like that? Well, that's what we're gonna unpack. And so here's how the story continues. Ready? Chapter 23, uh, Jesus brings the, the blind man to Jesus and Jesus then took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, on three, can we just say that's weird? One, two, three. That's weird. It's okay when you read the Bible not to have a, a, you know, a spiritual look going, oh, that's so special. No, just tell God that's weird. God be like, I know, isn't it crazy stories? You got to read the rest of it, man. I mean, it's just weird. Jesus spits on this man's eyes and he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? It's just a crazy story, man. It starts out weird. It goes weird from there. Now, I, I don't want you to miss this part. Before Jesus ever did a miracle, he grabbed the man by the hand and led him out of Bethsaida. There are times before Jesus touches your life, he wants to lead you away from what's bringing you down. He wants to pull you away from where you could never see him if you're a part of them, if you're a part of that, if your whole life has been there and the whole thing has just blurred your vision so much. Jesus loves you so much that he will pull you away from that so that you could see him for the very first time. And then the story just gets weird. Usually when people spit in your face, it doesn't go very well. Can we just admit that? Now, this guy, of course, didn't even see it coming. So Jesus spits in his, that was so, that's a flag. I, I'm told, I'm getting flagged on that one right there. That's so bad. That's so bad. All right, so here's, here's, how, here's how it goes, though. In verse 24, it ends up good. We love this guy. It ends up good for him. Verse 24, the man looked around. That's good. Uh, yes, I can see. I can see people, but not clearly. Uh, they, they look like trees walking around. Jesus is like, can you see now? Um, yeah, uh, but I don't, do I, do I shake his hand or do I climb him? I don't know. It's just so confusing to me. I can see, but not really see. Now, this is what's so crazy. We look at it and go, Jesus, were you having an off day? Like, did you miss something? Is there like, you didn't have coffee? Like, why in the world did it go down like this? Now, I don't know exactly, but maybe it's a reflection that Jesus knows something about us we don't know. That when it comes to our soul, it's a process. And transformation doesn't happen overnight. 
transformation happens in his touches in our life along the way. And that what, he, what he's done one time for you in the first touch of your life, he actually wants to touch you again. And it's in the transitions of life to where he really does have something for you that you never saw coming either. And it's a good thing. But that our soul doesn't need just one touch. Many times our soul needs another touch. And then we got to have another touch from him. And we want him to speak in this area of our life and then in this area of our life as well. This is what's happening with this guy. And when you look at Jesus, it's tempting to think, well, see, he just got it wrong. I mean, Jesus, this is a B-grade miracle at best. Now, it's good. It was, it was still kind of a miracle. You know, it wasn't like shopping at Nordstrom. It was like shopping at Nordstrom Rack, you know? You're still at Nordstrom, but there's like this, you know, this hem hanging out of your underarm. I mean, it's like, but we were there. I mean, so that's what this is like. So whatever it is, here's what it's not. It's not Jesus going, oops. It's not that. Here's why. Because if you have all knowledge and all powerful, you never say, oops. That's good news for somebody in this room. What you're going through that no one knows or what you're going through that a lot of people know. Jesus is not looking down at you right now going, oof, all right, that one's on me. That's my bad, right? I'm gonna take that one right there all the other time. No, 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 no. He never says oops. So what's happening? Well, don't forget, when you read the Bible, don't read it just as it is. Read it in context of what's happening around that verse or that passage. When you read what happened before this miracle with this man, Jesus just performed another miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. Now, Jesus had already fed the 5,000 plus, you know, with this dude's, this little guy's Subway sandwich. I mean, it's a crazy miracle in and of itself. And now he does it again to another group of people, 4,000 plus. And then as he's leaving that miracle, he's talking with the disciples and he's like, well, what'd you guys think? And they're like, you know what? We're kind of hungry. And they're like, what do you have? Well, we got a loaf of bread. And Jesus is like, ugh. You guys, I, I don't know if you're, if you're ever going to get this, actually. Jesus is looking at them going, okay, are you, you can see, but are you ever really going to see? He's trying to help them understand the disciples. And he constantly said this to the Pharisees, by the way. You think you can see, but you're totally blind is what he would tell them. You think everything's okay, but you are blind as can be. With his disciples, here's what he's trying to teach them is this truth. You're not quite blind, but you can't really see. I would argue this man is a, at this moment is a perfect example of so many who sit in church. You're not blind. You know him. You've heard about him but you can't really see. It's like something's happened. Like life has happened. And after your first touch, it was awesome. Like he changed your life. Remember you talk about him, you would read about him. It was incredible. And then life just kind of happened. And it's like now you're stuck in between touches and you need him to touch you again because you're not blind, but you just can't see something has happened and you just kind of live. Now, if you don't know if you're living here or not, it would be this. You're alive, but you're not living. 
you can see, but it doesn't make sense. You live in confusion instead of clarity. And it's like you're in between touches. Now, here's the deal. We can't be too hard on Jesus right now because at least the guy can see something, as we say in Alabama, and seeing something is better than nothing. I just went real Alabama on y'all right there. You didn't even know it, right? I mean, listen, if you can't see any colors at all and all you've seen is darkness, at least seeing some color is better than that. At least seeing people like trees, but you can't really make them out is better than not seeing anything at all. But watch, watch, watch. But as Christians, it's easy to settle right there to where, hey, I'm seeing something. I'm okay. I'm, see- I'm seeing some kind of color in my life. Is it vivid? No. Is it 4K? No. But, but I'm seeing something and I'm okay right here. And we get comfortable. Watch. We get comfortable with blurred vision. And we start thinking that's the reality we should live in. And if that's the reality we should live in, what we believe, then what we're really believing is a lie. And it's crazy because this is what's happening to this guy. Now, the Apostle Paul actually wrote about the same thing to a group of Christians in Corinth. He wrote the exact same thing. Here's what he told this group of believers. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians. You stare and stare at the obvious, but you can't see the forest for the trees. It's like, you're, it's like you're looking around life and you think you got it figured out, but you're missing the whole big picture. You know what God has said about your life, but you think you got him figured out and it's completely opposite of what he would say about your life. So you miss the force because you're just looking at the tree and you're not really living, but you're at least alive and this is the focus that you have in your life. And Apostle Paul is going, there's so much more, but there's a problem. And here's a great question when you read scripture. Why can't saved people see? I mean, you ever ask yourself that? You go, no, well, that's okay. That's my job. Why can't saved people see? Here's what I wrote down. You might have a better answer. Because of spit. That's why. They got spit in their eye. Here's the acrostic I came up with for spit. Spiritual pride, ignoring truth. You've been touched one time and you've led Bible studies. Remember when you did that? You used to read. Remember that? Listen to Christian music. Remember when you did that? And now it's just you've gotten to a place where life is blurry, but there's a spiritual pride as well. So you ignore people speaking truth through your life. You want to know how you know if you got spit in your eye? If someone tells you, you might need to go sit down and talk with somebody and you, I got it figured out. That's spit right there. If your spouse is looking at you going, our marriage has smoke in the cockpit and you look at him or you look at her and you say this, I'm okay. You need to go talk with somebody. You got spit in your eye. You can see. You're not quite blind but you really can't see anything. It's just an indicator that something is not right and you're not seeing clearly and you've settled after the first touch instead of waiting and wanting and seeking a second touch. Now, we ask this question, okay, can we just go back to the spit thing just real fast? Why would he do that? Well, there was a belief of the day that a rabbi, a rabbinical teacher, would have some type of healing in their saliva. 
It's kind of crazy, right? But they prayed all the time and there was some kind of medicinal usage that their saliva. Now, we laugh at that, but your mama thought the same thing. Right? Anybody got that mama? Magical spit, magical spit, right? Hey, come here, you got school picture. Come here just a minute, let me fit. Right, magical spit. You believe the same thing too about your own spit. You burn your finger. Mm. 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 You want some ice? No, 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 I'm good, I'm good. I got it. Like, it's like in our culture. What well, was in their culture too, except they just kind of amped it up for the rabbi. His spit is a little, you know, there's a little, there's some pixie dust on that. Now watch, so what is Jesus doing? Watch, this is so important, this is so important. Here's what Jesus is doing. I'm gonna use your method and belief and I'm gonna prove it to be true about me, but watch this, how's it going for you? I can see, but I can't really see. And Jesus is saying, that's because it's not in a method, guys. It's in a person, it's in a person. There's not a secret formula. There's not a method that changes your life. It's a person that changes your life. It's not a secret formula that you can pray a certain prayer and everything's okay and then you make sure you do this and everything's gonna work out okay. There's no secret formula, but there is a savior and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm gonna use the whole spit thing of what you guys believe and I'm gonna show you that I am from God and that there is something special about me and I do have powers, but I'm gonna stop to let you know there's more than what just you're believing about me. I am the one who changes people's lives forever. Not a formula, it's me, a person. And I want you to know me personally. And that's the invitation on the table. So this is what's happening in the story that's so much bigger than right now. And so in this moment, Jesus in Mark chapter eight, verse 25, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored and he saw everything in bright, here it is, 2020, focus. Changed. He used to could see, but he was somewhat blind. And now he sees in 2020. Let me tell you something. When you and I stop after the first touch and we live in between touches, we say statements like this. Is this as good as it gets? Jesus, I've been following you for 20 years. Like, is, like, is this it? Jesus, I've been married for 15 years. 15 years, Jesus, we've been married. Like, is, it, is this all there is to marriage? Jesus, I've been serving and I've been giving for 35 years. And it's like, like, like is, that, is that like it? See, what happens when you live in between touches and you don't want another touch from him, you just become jaded, cynical, and you become alive, but you're not really living because you settled for the last time he touched your life of whenever that was. And it was good enough. It's like the, it's like the AT&T commercial. Oh, it's okay. I'm just gonna go with that one. It's okay. And we've all been guilty of that. But the invitation is there's another touch you can actually have if you are seeking him. See, I can't explain this. I just know it's true that there are times Jesus touches our life, does something amazing, and then he just kind of steps back 
to see if we want more of him, not what he did for us. You find that in scripture over and over as well. He would do something amazing, touch people's lives, feed them, and it's like they wanted more of his blessings. And what would he would do? He would just kind of retreat. And then he'd look at the crowd going, who really wants me though? Who's following me? Who's pursuing me? And I love that over and over. Scripture talks about seeking him, seeking him, seeking him, seeking another touch, a fresh touch from him. The word seeking, actually, when you break it apart, it's to see a king, to see a king. You know, was anybody, uh, you going to church when we started here six and a half years ago when it was called Palladium? Was anybody with us when it was called Palladium? I got to be honest with you. I love the name Palladium. I loved it. It was awesome. It fit all the, the architecture on the inside. It was a strong name. It was cool. You know, we go to church at the Palladium. I mean, it was, it was just fun to say. I'm just being honest. I mean, like, I loved it. And then it got bought out, and of course, it turned to Regal. And, you know, it, it's, it, you know, Regal. It, it's Regal. Palladium. We go to Regal. I mean, you know, it's just kind of, it's just kind of, it's just Regal. Anybody ever seen the logo for Regal? Anybody know what regal means? Regal means this, fit for a king. When you come here on Sundays, there is a king who wants to meet with you. There is a king through his son and sacrifice. You can perfectly fit with him. And he wants to say something to you. He wants to speak into your life about what you're going through. What concerns you concerns him. And a king is here and he's here working and he's here moving. And for anyone, for anyone who finds themselves in between touches, he says, do you want me again? Because I'm here again. You go, well, what do we do for that? (laughs) Real, just simple, just be honest. I mean, can you imagine being this guy, by the way? By the way, just be this guy. You're standing there. You can't see anything. You get spit in your face. Somebody rubs your eyes. You know it's Jesus. Your friend, your, your small group has told you about Jesus. We're taking you to Jesus, taking you to Jesus. He does miracles. He just fed us all on the hillside. This is crazy. He's going to make you see. This is going to be awesome. You're going to get your sight back. And then Jesus asks you the question, can you see? You know the pressure on this guy? Um, I... You did good. Um, I can can see. I can see, um, but, oh, Jesus. Um, (laughs) mm. Don't get mad. Um, Think about it. Think about it. This guy's answer. I can see, but I don't see clearly. Touch me again. I'm telling you, you want another touch. You approach him with courage because he loves you. And you tell him, you be honest with him. It's not okay. And I'm not okay. And I need you to touch me again. It's not okay. Whatever it is in your life, Jesus is not okay. It's okay, but it's not okay. And, And I'm okay and we're okay. We're okay, but we're not okay. I'm telling you, he loves that cry. You want me to tell you why he loves that cry? Listen, you might've missed it in the story. 
But the first thing Jesus did for this guy is just reach out and grab his hand and say, come with me. How gentle is that? And he reaches out for anyone who needs a fresh touch, grabs them by the hand and says, come with me, come with me, come with me. How gentle. That's who he is, by the way. And I love this at the very end. Here's what he tells him in verse 26. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. I'm gonna add a word. Don't go back into the village. Don't go hang around. You're too new. You're too fresh. It's a fresh touch. Don't go back into the village for people who don't believe me, who don't know me, who, who will not. Now, there's a day. There's a day. But for right now, for right now, don't mess up your blurred vision by going back. I got a new road. I got a new day for you. The first, I wrote this down. The first touch is what you can see. You see what God can do. You see what God has done. The second touch is different because the second touch is who you can see. You don't see just him. You see other people. And you're like, God, if you've done this for me, you want to do this for everybody. And so I'm seeing them the way you're seeing them. And that is you love them and you want to take all of their hands and you want them to see you. And that's who we are as a church. This is why we're starting the Forster Campus, by the way, because of what he's done in our life. We want other people to know about it. And so in this fall, as you know, we're launching another campus in Forster High School. If you live in that area, close to that area, or you're feeling like God, you live here, but he wants you to help start it, then go. Go, let him lead you by the hand and go. It's gonna be amazing. And uh, there's actually a card in your seat. Some of you brought your cards with you today. I gave them out last Sunday. But on that card is where you can let us know, I'm stepping out, I, I wanna go, I want God to use me in full sure. or I'm stepping up, I wanna start serving here and I'm not serving. And of course, financially, uh, next Sunday is uh, football Sunday, as Brandon talked to us about, and it's kickoff Sunday of the football. It's going to be kickoff uh, giving for us. So whatever your best gift is for Fulcher Campus, bring it next Sunday. And, uh, you know, we don't ever talk about money. However, ministry is expensive. The gospel's free, but ministry going to cost you something. I mean, that's just how it works. <laughs> that's the reality of the world we live in. And, uh, but we're excited about the people's lives who are going to be touched by Jesus for the very first time and maybe a second time and third time. And so take those cards, if you don't mind, fill that out before you leave and you can drop it in the red bucket or the guest service table on your way out. Let me pray for us and then the band's going to come and lead us in one last song. God, thank you that you are here with us. So grateful that we get to meet with a king, a place fit for a king that you have structured for us to be able to sit down with you, to hear you, to hear your word, God, to sing back to you or maybe just to speak to you, to tell you that we love you. Thank you that you've touched our life. Ask you to touch it again. Don't wanna settle. Don't wanna be comfortable. God, the truth is there's a lot of mess that happens in between touches. That's why we need a new one. A lot of life. God, we just, we just need you. I'm grateful that when we open up your word, you speak to us. Really grateful. Thank you for being so good to us. And um, thank you for loving us right where we are. Right where we are. You grab our hand not that you ask us to go somewhere and then you grab our hand. It's right where we are. You hold our hand. 
God, thank you for the lives that are being changed in this place every Sunday. No one does that but you. Thank you for your kindness, your grace, and your mercy, your patience, your love. Scripture says it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. So we're grateful. pray that we uh, would never settle. We would want to see you. And God, between now and the day we breathe our last, that we would see more of you and more of you until we stand in front of you. Thank you this moment made for a king in your name we pray